This is the Leonard Lopate Show on WNYC. I'm Jonathan Capehart, and today for Leonard Lopate, dogs see through the world of smell, taking in everything from the sense of other dogs and their humans to bed bugs and thunderstorms. For this week's Please Explain, we're following dogs as they sniff their way through life with their incredible sense of smell. Alexandra Horowitz, who teaches canine, co- canine cognition and creative nonfiction at Barnard College and runs the Horowitz Dog Cognition Lab, explores the abilities of a dog's nose, how it's evolved and how it's being put to use, and how we can improve our own sense of smell. Her latest book, Being a Dog, Following the Dog into a World of Smell, is published by Simon & Schuster. And I'm pleased to welcome Alexandra Horowitz to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And we also invite you to join the conversation at 212-433-9692. Do you have questions about the science or just a basic question about your pooch? Call us uh, and we can talk about it. Uh, Again, thank you very much for being here. As I said to you before we, we went on air, I admit it, I'm a cat person. <laughs> my my husband is a dog person and has sort of brought me along to seeing, you know, the you know, the fun and beauty the beauty of dogs. And w- what I loved about at least the, the start of the book is that you you talk about dogs and the incredible sense of smell that they have. And I'm going to use this what you write here just to have the listeners get have an appreciation for just how um, tuned in their dog's nose is. You're right. Um, Let's think of an aroma pleasing to our noses. Cinnamon rolls cooking in a home kitchen. The average cinnamon roll has about a gram of cinnamon in it. Sure, the human nose is, is, uh, is on it from the moment we open the door of the house. Now imagine the smell of one trillion cinnamon rolls. That's what the dog coming in with us smells when we enter. That blew that blew my mind. <laughs> it's how does not a dog, subtle. How does a dog not lose its mind with <laughs> being bombarded with all of this information? Well, to be fair, I don't exactly know. I have to make an imaginative <laughs> leap into what it might be like to be an olfactory creature since, since I, like you, am visually oriented. But I think about it, the visual analog. In other words, we walk into this room and we're not overwhelmed with the variety of um, colors and surfaces and shapes. And it's just information to us. And I think for dogs, it's the same thing. Just information. Just in smells, right. So how did you become interested in this? And, you know, I, in your bio, when, it, when, I, when I read, I'm sure it struck people as a little odd. You, you teach canine cognition and you're a creative non, you, you <laughs> teach creative nonfiction at Barnard, which comes through in the writing of the, of the mm. book. It's relatable. It's funny. How did you get how did you get <laughs> how did you get here? It's, you yeah, it's, it's a longer story than your episode. But I, I'd say that I began to study the mind of the dog. I was interested in what it might be like to be a dog. And I was doing cognitive science work. So s- simple experiments, uh, observing dogs. And when you start doing that, you can't help but see that there's something that we kind of naturally miss and we miss about most non-human animals, which is kind of what their sensory world is. So I did a little bit of a deep dive into that sensory experience. For You're this not book. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about the deep dive. <laughs> well, part of that imaginative leap into the olfactory world is trying to become a better smeller myself because, of course, we have perfectly good noses on our faces. It just we're not using them for the most part. We're not putting them up to things and sniffing. In fact, we mostly 
I can't speak for everyone, but most of us have an aversion to putting your nose in things and sniffing. And so I tried to follow my dog's lead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's... <laughs> All right. So, so you... Dogs sniff. They sniff everything. Yeah. And, and we, we look. So they did, sniff. So did you really... Mm. Finn is your dog. Mm, yes. So we've seen dogs. They sniff fire hydrants, sidewalks, other dogs. Right. Did you do all of those things? And what was that experience like for you? Well, one of the first things I did was I thought, well, listen, I have two dogs. I actually live with two dogs. Finn is sort of the professional dog and Upton who's, um accompanies us. And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'll just sniff what they sniff right I can I can do that so we go out of the house and you did and this in public I it was in public and I uh, my Finnegan started sniffing a tree guard you know the little iron railings around right. the trees and he finished up was ready to continue walking and so I got down on all fours and sniffed myself and <laughs> it didn't smell as bad as I thought it would in fact it, there was a kind of bright maybe paint smell maybe something like a metal metallic smell um as I as I did this, I looked and I see my dogs looking at me, yeah, <laughs> really exactly. strangely. And then, in fact, there was a couple coming up the street, and they on the sidewalk. Where they are actually, we? Where where are we? This was on the Upper West Side okay. where I live, and um, they actually left the sidewalk and walked into the street to walk around me. And I thought, okay, I'm not ready for this socially. <laughs> so I then stopped following their every move. Although I will sniff some of the things they sniff. I mean, um, because sometimes it's a mysterious odor. If there's something in the grass, I can't see it. I'm, I want to know, can I smell it? Often I cannot. But you'd be surprised at just getting close to a surface, any surface, a wall, for instance, that there's suddenly an odor coming back at you. Um, and so that was what they opened up the door for me a little bit. And then I took sort of more traditional media and put them to my nose, uh, odorants and bottles. I, you know, I studied with a perfumer. I followed a sommelier and mm -hmm. things like that. And so um, you... Well, we have to. When I before I go to the experiment you did in in the park, um, you write about why dogs pee. Yeah. Oh no! And so oh, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> well, that was the second thing I was going to come to. Why dogs sniff? Dogs sniff each other, and the difference between the way male dogs sniff and right. female dogs right, sniff. Right. Go into that. So we all know, anyone who has a dog or has observed dogs know that they like to sniff each other. And it turns out they're getting a lot of information about the identity of the other dog. So they see the dog, certainly, but there's information about um, sex, about maybe their health, about um, maybe their age and what they've eaten recently. Um, but it's not all rump sniffing. It does look like male dogs are more likely to approach a new strange dog uh, and sniff their rump, but females are more likely to go to the face. So there's a there's actually a sex difference because both the face and the rump have a lot of glands around them that give information basically about who that dog is. It's just females do it um, face first, and and males go to the rump. There there are times when I have seen you know the the meeting of the dogs. And the dog will go for the rump, and the other dog is basically uh, jumps out of the way. Is yes. there is there a protocol or an <laughs> or an etiquette that you observed before the the sniffing of the the parts begin? Yeah, that's a great question. I think they'll sniff as as, uh, as long as they can get away with it. And there's also a mutuality to sniffing. So 
you know, if I'm sniffing the tail of one dog, they can sniff the tail of me at the same time. So that's convenient. And that sometimes will happen before one dog gets uh, worried that another dog is sniffing too much. And when the female dog goes, sniffs the face, are they getting the same information as the male dog sniffing the rump? Some of the same information. So the information of um, odors secreted from glands are probably kind of identity information. In other words, the dog wears their identity and their smell the way for dogs we wear our identity in, in a smell that we always give off. Um, but at the rump, you'd also have probably information about sexual status. So that's probably why males go to the rump first to see if a uh, female is in heat. Aha. Uh-huh. And another thing that I found fascinating is that not only are dogs picking up information through smells, but they're leaving information. So not only when the when a dog sniffs the rump or the face of another dog are they getting information, but when when your dog is walking wherever and their nose is to the ground, because dogs have um, glands on their on their paws yeah. as they're walking, they're leaving information everywhere for other dogs to read. Basically, right? right. I mean, I don't know how intentional that communicative act is of walking, but it does leave information. And sometimes you'll see a dog who, after urinating, will scratch the ground mightily. And it, one of the theories is it's actually leaving more information about who they are from the, the glandular secretions in their paws. Okay, so you just help ex- helped explain why I could never understand why... You know, when cats go in the litter box, the cats are all like, okay, let me cover, I'm covering this Mm -hmm, up. mm -hmm. But I could never understand why dogs, when they did the same thing, excuse me, um, you know, like in an open field or wherever where you don't have to poop or scoop, but they would claw at the the ground, but it's like, wait, you're not covering anything up. What is that for? And what you're saying is they're just saying... (laughs) I I did this. I left this here. Yeah, exactly. It's more of a visual signal and an olfactory signal. And and I'm not so sure that the cat is actually covering up, except for the fact that we give intentionally. I I mean, they are in effect covering it, but it could be also leaving olfactory information Hmm. for um, for other cats, which never come to sniff it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So I jumped ahead and I talked about you know how dogs pee. Why why do dogs pee the way they do? And is it true that only male dogs hike up the hind leg? Right. No, that's definitely Walk not true. Walk through the process because there's a whole process here. It's right. not just a willy-nilly yeah, thing that dogs do. Yeah, pee is not just one thing, right? It's pee. It's releasing the bladder. But it's not only that. It can be this communicative act. And you can leave your odor, your identity information for other dogs because... There are a lot of other dogs around. You don't see them all the time, but you can leave that information. They'll get it later. It's like a bulletin board. So the males especially will do the what, what we call the raised leg display. <laughs> and, and female dogs do this too sometimes, which allows essentially just um, a little bit of the urine to be on a higher surface, easier to smell, easier to find. Um, and you'll see that other dogs, when they find some of that odor from another dog, sometimes mark in the same place. We call it marking instead of just peeing. Right, because I want to get into that because that, yeah. there's a whole thing there, but go on. Yeah, and so they'll mark in the same place. Well, maybe this is where you're going with it, but it doesn't look like it's um, trying to territorially mark or kind of claim the post or the fire plug or whatever it is, but instead it's basically just um, a really good place to leave your scent, you know, like uh, pinning your business card. Um 
uh, on a bulletin board. On a very crowded bulletin That's board. That's right, a smelly bulletin board, <laughs> which attracted your attention, and so it will attract someone else's attention, too. Will a dog be rep- re- repelled by a bulletin board? No, no. And in fact, they can read, you know, all the different messages left on it, right? If for us, it just looks like, well, that's, you know, messy that's just been splashed with urine, but they are, be able, they'd be able to kind of disambiguate, tell apart all the different urine smells. I mean, and again, going back to the cinnamon roll example that we started this conversation with, I mean, the the number of messages that, that Finn, your dog, is taking in by sniffing the tree bark or the fire hydrant um, is in, is incredible. Right. And in, in terms of marking, so again, I'm watching a dog urinate on something. I think you have this term of art. It's like graffiti. <laughs> so this isn't just about, oh, my God, my dog needs to go and relieve itself. Yeah. The, the dog is doing something. I think you even timed it how long they pee. It's like yeah. seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the just a pee um, is however long it takes to release your bladder. But you le- they leave a, this small amount to mark, with especially with a male dog, m- as many different surfaces as they can to leave lots of different messages like graffitied around the neighborhood um, for other dogs to pick up. I mean, I'm just, you can tell I'm thoroughly, I'm, I'm fascinated it's by... It's this whole level of communication that's happening, right? Like right in front of our noses, as it were. And one other thing, um, there's a thing that you talked about in, in dog parks, <laughs> since yes. we're on pee, um, in dog parks where there's the human who comes in, sits down on, on the grass, mm. and then what happens? Well, sometimes they are like a new object in the environment and um, they might get marked. It's da- it's dangerous. <laughs> right. Right. And then so the person gets marked and then other, another dogs. Do- other dogs come by because once you've been you've been marked, other they're like, oh, yes. hey, whoa, what's yeah, what's exactly that they've noticed it. And they're like, well, this is a good place to mark, I guess. And they'll mark. So, if, you know, if you see that happening, get up quickly. <laughs> Get up quickly and avert your gaze at the other dog owners um, laughing at you for, for what's happened it's to you. It's tragic. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Capehart in today for Leonard Lopate, and I'm speaking with Alexandra Horowitz, who teaches canine cognition and creative nonfiction at Barnard College and runs the Horowitz Dog Cognition Lab. Her latest book is Being a Dog, Following the Dog into a World of Smell. This is WNYC and WNYC.org. We'll be right back after a break. Welcome back to the Leonard Lopate Show. I'm Jonathan Capehart sitting in today from Leonard Lopate. And today it's Friday and it's Please Explain. And if you were listening before the break, you know we were talking all about dogs, their noses, and us, and talking about talking with Alexandra Horowitz about her latest book, Being a Dog, Following the Dog into a World of Smell from Simon & Schuster. Um, we've been talking about pee. Lots of pee. <laughs> Lots of pee. And so you wanted to do an experiment. And so you... Take it from the moment when you applied for a th- permission or a grant mm, from, 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 the from the city parks department. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things we have to do when we don't know what's happening uh, among dogs, we don't know how they're communicating, is just do a lot of observations. And so one of the things I wanted to do was um, look at this marking behavior and see how they 
dogs behaved with each other over time. So I wanted to put a pee post essentially in the park. In other words, I wanted to videotape what dogs were doing vis-a-vis this pee post over time. Were they covering each other's marks? Were they going back and seeing, you know, who's who'd been there after they'd been there and so forth. And so I applied to them to basically leave cameras in the city parks and um, trained on this this post. And so, and what did you, how long did this, ha- how long did this go on We again? did this for a number of month, uh, months, maybe six months, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and so what did you, what did you learn that you didn't already know? Uh, well, it really didn't look like there was um, any specific overmarking of dogs. In other words, it wasn't that a dog would uh, sniff something and then just cover it exactly, right? There's nothing territorial looking about their marking behavior, which I thought was was really cool. Um, but another thing is they really seem to identify the, the mark with a specific dog. So you'd see them sniff the post where another dog had been and then look for the dog around them. Um, and if their owner let them, then they'd f- pursue that dog. You know, sometimes they're constrained by their owner, their owner leads them somewhere else. We're kind of oblivious to how they're communicating or what their intents are sometimes. Um, So they seem to really be seeing it as like a specific message about another dog. And so let's say Finn has marked this post, it's looking around for the dog, and then you go go on your way. Is Finn still looking for that dog as you're walking away? Well, there, I have to assume so. I don't know exactly. But yeah, it looks like <laughs> oh, they are. Finn hasn't no. told you? <laughs> Finn, oh, that's the sad thing about <laughs> s- studying non-human animals is they never they never tell us in words. So their behavior looks like they at least would follow. They would at least follow and pursue that dog at that moment. So it's a little bit of like um, leaving a calling card. And speaking of Finn can't talk to you, but you do say that Finn wrote half your book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, observing my own animals is... Uh, just amazing compliment to doing the research, reading about others' research about the anatomy of the nose or watching detection dogs training, then seeing, you know, what are the abilities of my animals? What are they doing on a daily basis that has to do with smell that I wasn't seeing and that now I can see? Okay, so we've we've we focused a lot on <laughs> a lot on pee. <laughs> Let's move a, move away from pee. What are some of the other other things that dogs that do, that dogs are doing? Smells that they are keying in on? Well, one of the things I found interesting on a kind of everyday basis is looking at ordinary behavior and seeing it as olfactory in nature. So for instance, you walk out of your um, building, my apartment building in the morning, and you just start in on a walk with your dogs. It's very typical. You don't think anything olfactory is happening. But if I watch my dogs, what I see is that the first thing they do is they're air scenting. So they're sniffing the air which is essentially getting any odors that are being carried down the street on a breeze. That might be odors of somebody who I can't see yet, you know, a little bit somebody we're going to encounter in a few minutes, a person or a dog. They're catching that information. Um, Then they sniff the ground, so they're getting information about who's passed by before we're there. So before we've even started on our walk, they're seeing a little bit of what's happened on the block in the past and maybe who's coming up on the block in the future. And and they can tell what the weather is or going to be just sniffing there? How? How? Well, it does seem like a lot of weather-related phenomena have an olfactory component. And we kind of know this, uh, if you imagine the, the smell of spring, for instance. You know, we notice seasonal changes and we can sometimes smell seasonal changes. Well, even things like a thunderstorm potentially has an olfactory component because 
it's following a, a low pressure system. And with low pressure, then mm, odors that would be trapped in the soil would be loosened and would kind of rise into the air. So probably what, what it feels like before a thunderstorm is um, really smelly to a dog, to, huh. some, to a nose that has that kind of sensitivity, so they'd be alert to it. Can we talk about um, dogs that are trained for specific things, like that beagle at JFK who's sniffing out your yes. the, the cheese that you're trying to sm- <laughs> bring back into the country, or some food that you're trying to bring back into the country, or right. um, the dogs in the military that can sniff out explosives. How are, how are they trained? What's lovely about the detection dogs is that although there are dogs who are bred to be detection dogs, um, and they're certainly trained to be it, it's they're not being trained to be able to smell those things. So all dogs can smell those things. They can smell a small amount of TNT or other explosive. They can smell the cheese, obviously, we know. All they're being all they're all they're trained to do is to when they notice that smell, tell us because we seem to care about it. So they're trained on a small amount of explosives odorant, and when they find it, if they look at us or they bark or they sit or whatever their alert is, then they get a reward, which is usually a game of tug or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and when you say a small amount, just yeah. for the listener to understand, as but what Alexandra means by small amount, we're talking about something as little as a picogram? Right. A trillionth of a gram. A trillionth of a gram. So right. you're never going to outsmart that beagle. <laughs> no, no, no. And if, I mean, cheese, come on, unless you're bringing extremely small <laughs> quantities of cheese. Right. But in terms of it. explosives and things yeah. like that, dogs are highly, highly attuned. Right. Absolutely. That's something that's just part of their sensory environment. So all they have to do, be trained to do is to know that we care about it. Um, we, a, a listener, Connie Freestone, asked on Twitter, do different breeds of dogs have a distinctive odor? Oh, interesting question. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I, uh, it's possible because the, I mean, they're genetically more similar than they are dissimilar, but there are differences, genetic differences, obviously, between breeds, and there might be an olfactory component to them. I, I have suspected for a while that different breeds of dogs kind of recognize each other. So you'll see Labradors playing with other Labradors. And that might be because of the style of play, but it also might be that they have a smell which they recognize and Mm -hmm. sort of identify with a little bit. Um, but I don't know yet. It could mm-hmm. be the owners too, who you know, like want their lab to play with other labs. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we don't know. Humans That's... get involved, and this gets all messy. It complicates. Um, so um, on sniffing, you have an example here of um, dogs being used in the Netherlands, Germany, Poland, and some other countries who are used mm. um, in scent identification lineups. Right. This I found fascinating. Talk about that. Right. So we all have. Uh, an odor, essentially. You know, we give off um, just by existing, we give off smells and we perspire out the smells and so forth. So dogs are sufficiently reliable in discriminating between these odors. So, you know, your dog is never going to mistake you for somebody else by smell um, that in some parts of Europe, they can use that identifying odor um, to have a dog recognize the odor that was at the scene of a crime. What they do is they have the suspect hold uh, like a metal bar so the person is not present. They just have the scent that they leave, for your hand leaves on the metal bar, and the dog, and they, they have the dog kind of match it to the sample that they've been given from the scene of the crime. 
And they seem to be reliable at this. I mean, that's amazing. So um, even if you've committed this crime, you go home, you shower, you do all sorts of stuff. You do like the Ethan Hawke thing in that movie where he scrubs his skin cells. You're not going to get away with a highly trained dog. You're just not going to get away. Unless you remove your skin entirely. Your skin is emanating smell. Right. And you're leaving that wherever you go. So in. So in theory, you know, the room that you've been in smells like you at some level, right? And uh, we all know this from, you know, growing up with brothers. (laughs) You know, being people we know, people who are familiar to us, we kind of know their smell, whether consciously or not. Right. And that's just because of the smell they give off naturally. So that same thing happens when you go into a new space. Oh, this makes me... I'm I'm an only child, so I have oh. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Sharon, a listener from Jersey City, is a dog walker and asks, when walking a group of dogs, do you let them sniff the ground or keep them walking? Oh, I always try to let dogs sniff. I mean, to me, that is their universe. They're living in a kind of sensory parallel universe to us. And t- to not allow them to sniff is kind of like pulling... Uh, I, I I analogize it to pulling your child away from looking at the Grand Canyon out the window as you drive by. Like that's the world to them. To not let them sniff is to deprive them of that. So now at some level you have to keep going, you have to walk along, but I think lingering and letting them sniff once in a while is um, a great idea. You know what just occurred to me? So this is why when there are car, there when we're driving in car, well, we when people are driving in cars and their dogs, no matter how big they are, how small they are, if they can get their heads out the window <laughs> and face into the breeze, yeah. they're going to do it because it's inform. It's not the it's the air, but it's not yeah. like they love the wind in their face. They love the information that right. they're getting. From I think the it's air, like olfactory fireworks, right? <laughs> this constant stream of uh, smells coming at them. It's got to be fabulous. It's got to be, right? Yeah. All right. Lev in Port Washington, Long Island has a question about dogs. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. So, um, my dog has a, a big bay window that she likes to sit at in front of the house, and she sees all the cars that come up. Uh, and, you know, whether it's my friends or someone who she's never met before, she's very friendly, won't bark, but consistently barks at the mailman. Um, I was wondering <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a science behind that. Um, <laughs> you know, is it something about the mailman being able to access all these different houses? Uh, is it a territorial thing? I was, I've always wondered about that. Yeah. That's a great you question. Know, the United States Postal Service should really fund a study on this, it seems to me. Um, what I would say is typically there's something else that characterizes the post the the post office person as opposed to just being the person who delivers the mail, which is they're the ones who are coming up and not coming into your house. So your dog is just, it's not necessarily territoriality, it's just alerting the you that there's a stranger there, that's a stranger bark. Whereas if there's somebody that they're familiar with, they don't need to do that bark as much, or at least as soon as they recognize them, they won't. And if they come into the house, then there's this whole other way that they can investigate who that is. But the mailman doesn't do that. They come up, leave something, and walk away. So I think all your dog is doing is alerting you to that fact. What about dogs that no matter how many times you've met them, they the moment you walk in, there's like, Yep, 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 Right, right. And then it ends after two to five minutes. But is that just, they just can't help themselves? Well, there are all types of barks, right? So there are barks cologne? that what have to it? do, there are barks about, um, most barks are not aggressive barks. There are stranger, I'm left, 
they're stranger barks, but then they're also I'm being left alone barks, you know, a dog barking. And you would, and actually people who don't live with dogs and don't own dogs are usually pretty good at distinguishing these if given the different categories. There's a play bark. So it's just a bark of like being excited, what we would call just an arousal bark, basically. And that's probably what happens when a dog is barking at you, but then calms down is they're just excited. And that's one of the ways that they express excitement. Yeah, we just got this great question from Joanne from Randolph, New Jersey, who wrote on our website, my 13-year-old dog has started to cover his full food bowl with towels, a rug, anything nearby. We've not seen this behavior since he was rescued from the streets 11 years ago. Is he hiding his food or Mm. is he telling us he prefers to eat something different? (laughs) (laughs) I love that we read into their behavior, all these different uh, intentions and communications. Um, It's really hard to tell. It's interesting to me that she says there are, there, that was something that the the dog did when they just got the dog or, or in early in their life. Um, I wonder if there's something else that's changed in this dog's life. Did the diet change? Um, Did they get new toys? The food bowl is something they have some sort of ownership of. In other words, that's a place where they know they can reliably go and eat without somebody else taking it. So it might be just putting everything in the place, which is yours as if the dog just discovered it, but but you know, science hasn't directly ad- addressed this question. <laughs> Those are my best guess. I, I mean, can dogs talk to us? They're talking to us all the time. Okay, then let me rephrase that. Do we understand everything dogs are telling no, us? I mean, we certainly put a, kind of a, 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 a vocal tract to everything. Yeah, dogs like Lassie. Yeah. What's going on, Lassie? <laughs> right. We assume they're speaking to us in full sentences, and sometimes we even voice what they might be saying, right? <laughs> we talk for them. We ventriloquize a little bit. But they're usually, um, I mean, sometimes we're right, but often we're wrong. I think the things that we miss are their communicative acts that we don't think of as communications. Like looking at you, if, if uh, an owner is at home and the dog needs to go out, the, fir- the first thing most dogs will do is not like come up and bark and make a lot of noise about it. They'll just come over maybe and sit near you. And that's actually a communication. Mm-hmm. It's only if you ignore that that then they kind of get closer and maybe put their head on your lap. And then if you ignore that, then they start pawing you. And if you ignore that, then they start barking and you realize, oh, then you think that's the first communication. Mm-hmm. My dog's telling me he wants to go out. It's annoying. But hey, he might have been starting to communicate that 30 minutes ago. It's just that we're not listening mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, when the, the dog takes its snout and it's like, come on, right. hey, let's right. go. You're not getting it. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about dogs' noses and and sense of smell, but and you talked about this at the very beginning of uh, of the conversation, and that is the fact that we humans used to be able to smell mm. like that. And what happened? You know, I, there's real a, quick. <laughs> there's an argument that maybe we can still smell that well. It's just that we're not putting our nose up to things and bothering to smell. We have an aversion to it. I think it's a shame. Do you think real has your has your sense of smell improved since doing this? Absolutely. Yeah. I can pay attention to smells. I've even dreamed in smells. But I bet you can't smell a trillion cinnamon rolls. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true. Maybe I don't want to either. Yeah. I've been speaking with Alexandra Horowitz, who teaches canine cognition and creative nonfiction at Barnard College and runs the Horowitz Dog Cognition Lab. Her latest book is Being a Dog, Following the Dog into a World of Smell. Thank you, Alexandra, very much for being here. My pleasure.